Amen. Turn in your Bibles to chapter 5 of the book of Daniel. Uh, we are going to continue with a message, the writing on the wall. Uh, a phrase that many use today, the writing is on the wall. Well, this is truly the writing on the wall today. Um, and as we look at God's word today, I won't begin by reading it uh, because it's the whole chapter we're going to look at. And uh, but we will walk through it and make comment as we go. I want to remind you, uh, as I did last week, that our pride is always an issue. Uh, The things that we think we are great in uh, and are comparing ourselves to one another. And, And not just comparing ourselves, but finding ourselves better than one another. Uh, why are they treating me like this? I'm great. Why uh, don't they respect me more? Don't they know how great I am? And uh, somebody should do that, a servant type, but not me. Uh, This is a passage that reminds us of our own pride. uh, And we're going to see the picture of pride. And it's interesting that as we've looked through the book of Daniel, uh, up to this point, Nebuchadnezzar has been this picture of leadership. He's been the king. He thought himself in charge at, at different times and different places. And uh, as we look at his leadership, we find him to be a terrible leader, a terrible one, successful, uh, accomplished, and yet because of his own pride, uh, because of him thinking himself great and enjoying his accomplishments, um, he showed himself to be a lowly. And, and last week we saw that for seven years he, was, uh, he lost his mind and really lived with the beasts. We're going to see today a little recap of that. And I would even say not just a recap, but a second verse, right? Uh, a second generation, uh, another person like him. Uh, living in pride and being humbled, uh, really humbled in the greatest of ways. Let me pray for us now just in our study. God, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would guide us in it now. Uh, I ask that you would clearly speak to us from it, uh, that this would not be a, a message of my thoughts, but this would be your thoughts to us. And uh, as we... Uh, Understand you to be the Most High God. May we rejoice and jump uh, knowing that this is from you. Uh, God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 5 starts out. It says, King Belshazzar. And uh, we realize, I don't know if you catch this right away, but that is very similar to the name that they gave Daniel. And uh, the, the word, uh, the name Belshazzar uh, is one that is uh, a name that, uh, that is somehow connected uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, possibly his grandson, okay? Uh, I'll try to explain this quickly. Uh, it's complicated, but not that interesting, <laughs> as many things are. Um, but... Uh, the, the name has this idea of the God of power or the God of protection or pa- the God protects the king, the, this idea. And, and what it is, is the, the idea that they were thinking as naming this, uh, this man that he was going to be king. Uh, uh, we see him as being the son or co-king 
with the present king of Babylon. And if you look through history, you realize that Nebuchadnezzar dies and there's two brief king, uh, kings after him in Babylon. Uh, and I think they both got murdered, um, assassinated. And now uh, the father of Belshazzar is really the king now. And they think uh, through history, we don't have a lot of details in chapter five, that he's away failing in war. Um, and maybe already been taken over by the Medes, okay? Which leaves uh, the Medes and the Persians around the walls of Babylon at this time waiting to take the city. And you have this king, this co-king, this younger king, Belshazzar, um, having a great feast, it says in verse 1, for a thousand, uh, for a thousand of his lords... And, and you get this picture of a thousand people gathering with the king for a party. And uh, a thousand people is a lot, especially for people who live in Tehachapi, right? You know, the only place you can find a thousand people are Home Depot on Saturday, right? Um, and so uh, as we think about that, that's a lot and a lot to feed. And yet in uh, ancient, the ancient world, it was kind of common. In fact, we have records of people uh, some kings having up to 15,000 people eat with them every night. Um, talk about uh, uh, undertaking, right? And w- what it was, it's the idea that the king uh, throws a party and it shows how great he is. And, you know, the idea of him feeding for all of his friends and to be able to gather and uh, people make other people feel special, and so this is what was happening. Belshazzar was gathering for this feast with thousands of his people, his squad. They were gathering. And it says that they drank wine in front of the thousands, of the thousand. And, and probably pictured is the idea that there was the huge group that was there in a building or a place, but there was a stage uh, where the king and his closest associates, his favorite wives, his favorite girlfriends, they were all there with him. Um, when you see concubine, you can think, I don't know what you should think, but, um, just know this, that he was the king. He was the king and he was gathering these people to himself, thinking that he was great, throwing this party. Uh, it says this in verse two, um, and, and what we're picturing here is the, uh, his father is somewhere else, somewhere else. And so he's in charge. And so he's in Babylon and he's throwing this party, these people, and they're drinking, they're drinking. It's very important for you to get this picture that they're drinking. Um, then in verse three, it says, um, I'm sorry, verse two, Belshazzar, uh, when he had tasted the wine, Uh, What he had done is he said, hold my drink. And then he commanded the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. He brought the uh, the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines that they might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, And the king and his lords and his wives and the concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So you get the picture of what's going on, right? Uh, 
they are having this party. There's a thousand people and they begin to drink and they get these great ideas. And these great ideas are not just, hey, let's praise our gods, but let's mock the God of Jerusalem, the God of Israel, the God of uh, Judah. We're going to mock this God of the captives that still live in our midst, that still are, are serving us. We are going to mock them. And, and this mockery, it, it, it's interesting that as we, we see this, we see this throughout the book of Daniel, there's other gods and then there's Daniel's God, side by side. And that's true all the time. There are different gods throughout the world. There are people worshiping different things. They're thinking different things. They're making up gods and even adjusting them to their fancy And so what we have here is not just the praise of the gods, the wicked idolatry of these gods of these different substance, but now uh, these gods are, uh, King Belshazzar is also purposefully mocking the holy God of Daniel. And as we see this, <clears throat> there's, there's an interesting thing that I, I'm, I'm picking up in the book of Daniel. I hope you see it too. Uh, when, uh, when the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and, uh, and others, and others, when they see clearly who God is, he's referred to as the holy God. And as they think of their own gods and even are marked by their own gods, it's not referred to as their holy gods. It's just their gods or their lesser gods. And seeing that is over, okay? Uh, And so what we get here is a picture of the mocking of the mocking of the God of Daniel and the worship um, and the using of these holy vessels of gold and silver uh, in this mockery, in this party. They were brought out. And we don't have a... um, picture of how they knew about them or where they were it was probably on display somewhere a museum type thing and they said bring those things to us that we might drink from them and it'll be part of our party but mocking um, their gods while worshiping our gods one writer says this about this time and I, I think it's important for us to get it says in many respects Babylon was uh, the most fabulous city of the ancient world, both for the beauty of its architecture and for the safety of its huge walls and fortifications. It was hard for the Babylonians to believe that even the Medes and the Persians who uh, had surrounded their beloved city could possibly breach the fortifications or exhaust their supplies, which were intended to be ample for a siege of many years. Their confidence in their gods was bolstered by their confidence in their city. They thought they were great. Belshazzar thought he was great. And he thought through, uh, there was no fear in him of God. There was no question of whether he was safe. So this party would lend itself to mocking gods of those captives that they live within their midst. And so we go from there to the writing on the wall in verse 5. And, 
And, and I love how this says this. As Daniel writes this, he, he connects moment by moment. He, he shared this in, in Nebuchadnezzar in the previous chapter, but it's this idea that as the story unfolds, God is interjecting himself into the story. And this is what God does. I want to tell you that he is involved in the intimate moments of your life. He's not just, uh, I'll get to that later, but he is working in your life right now, both to bless and to correct. Um, And so we see the writing on the wall, verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a a human hand, verse 5, appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote, Uh, Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. There's many verses that I would have loved to have been there. These would have been some great ones. Rebecca was telling me as we were talking this week that she uh, watched a play when she was a girl and she just remembers the, the picture of the hand coming and, you know, we, we don't know exactly the plaster. It gives us detail in the lampstand. And, you know, uh, we, we think of lighting uh, as just flick a switch. But I, I think the picture here is this, that, that it, was, it was in a lit area. It had a lampstand, and this hand comes out. And <clears throat> I, I'm not a drinker. Uh, you know, I was raised in a good Baptist home and taught the evils of drinking at an early age. And, uh, the most part wanted to protect my kids from that, so I haven't drank. But uh, no show of hands. Have you ever been drunk? I'm not going to look up. <clears throat> Have you ever been drunk? A little tipsy, little tipsy. <clears throat> you know, and you're, you're drinking, you're drinking, and you're having a good time. Maybe you're talking loud and laughing, and you, you really think that things are going well. And someone gets a dumb idea, and everyone goes with it, and the drinking's flowing. You know, you, this is a great time. And then the hand appears <laughs> and starts writing on the wall. You know, uh, I, I think... I think right now, today, if there was a handwriting on the wall, that I would respond as King Belshazzar did. I would, my color would change, and you go, oh, what's going on? Uh, inebriated might, might even add some flavor to it, right? The idea of being more terrified, right? Am I seeing what I'm seeing? And he was seeing what he was seeing. It says he, this hand wrote on the plaster of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. The king saw the hand that wrote on it and, it, and it shook him to his core. Verse 7, it says, The king called loudly to bring his enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. Uh, you look at this, and this comes up over and over again in Nebuchadnezzar's life as well, right? Every time he had a problem, a dream or whatever, what did he say? Bring the smart guys. Bring my consultants. Bring the guys who have been educated and and know magic and astrology. I need some help. And right now, because of his fear, it says that he spoke loudly. He wasn't saying, "Ah, come here, can I get the smart guys? He was was screaming out for them. And then he, once again, as Nebuchadnezzar had done over and over again, 
The king declared uh, to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads the writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around their neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. Really, I'd say it this way, the party is over. The party is over. Um, If you want to ruin a, a great party, get everything going, and then a hand appear to write on the wall to freak everybody out, and they say, ah, let's go home. Um, this, uh, upon this, the king couldn't find relief. He couldn't find the smart guy to help him sort this out. Um, it, it says in verse 10, it says the queen, uh, and, and I'd say this, we don't know who the queen is. We don't know who the queen is, but because of what's being written here, I'll, I'll get to it, read it in a moment. This probably is a queen mother, okay, not his wife. Uh, he's already talked about his wives and his concubines being with him. Uh, this is, uh, you have a couple of different kings, like I said, after Nebuchadnezzar. You have, uh, um, you know, the, the king father probably being away and him being the king that is ruling, co-king, if you will. Um, and this queen uh, interjects herself into the situation. It says in verse 10, the, the, king, uh, the queen, uh, because of the words of the king and his lords, came in, into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Uh, uh, we're going to see that throughout the book. In fact, next uh, passage we look at, uh, it's used of the next king, okay? Um, o king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you and, or your color change. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, o king, live forever. Don't be afraid and don't let your color change. Uh, look a little flush there. Um, verse 11. Uh, there is a man in your kingdom in whom uh, is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father... Um, Light and understanding and wisdom, like uh, the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, uh, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Just add a few letters in there, okay? Um, now Daniel, uh, now let Daniel be called, and he uh, show this interpretation. I just want to tell you. So it says, "Father Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he's your father," and it reiterates, "He's your father." Uh, know this: that there's no word for grandfather or great grandfather uh, in the Old Testament. They just referred to 
uh, your ancestors, your father. They're your fathers. They, they've gone before you. And most likely that's what he's referring to, that somehow he is the grandson or great-grandson, depending on uh, who died where and how this all came together. Um, father, Father Nebuchadnezzar. And he's pointing him back to, uh, the queen is pointing him back. Remember, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had this man. He's still here and he helped him out. He helped him interpret dreams. He's known to be one uh, that is great. Uh, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, acknowledged this. Which brings us uh, to verse 13, Daniel's interpretation. Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You, you are that Daniel, uh, one of the exiles of Judah, whom... Uh, and even as he says that, uh, you're, you're that Daniel, the exile from Judah, the one I was just mocking your God, right? Um, the exiles of Judah, whom the uh, king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, uh, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that a light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, um, the enchanters, uh, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make uh, known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck, and you shall be third ruler in the kingdom. I find that interesting, and I've talked to you about this before in terms of Nebuchadnezzar. Some have said that uh, really the only motivation that the world has is a carrot and a stick, right? It's the idea that I'm going to give you something. I'm going to, if you do what I want you to do, I'm going to give you something. Or the other one is, I, I want you to do this, and if you don't do it, I'm going to hit you with the stick. Uh, they were, Nebuchadnezzar was far more graphic than just hitting him with a stick, right? His favorite was limb from limb, right? He was going to pull him apart. Uh, beware of this. Uh, if you see leaders doing that, uh, be, be leery of that. Why? Because they're trying to motivate you to do something. What you want in a leader is for them to motivate you to do what's right, to do what's right, to lead you by example to do what's right, and then to call you to follow after them in righteousness. Daniel's a book of leadership, and it comes out over and over again. The poor leadership of the Babylonian kings. Well, uh, verse, 12, uh, verse 17, then, then Daniel answered and said before uh, the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Uh, uh, you know, he's rejecting uh, the carrot. Nevertheless, I, I will read the writing uh, to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, uh, the most high God, and this, this is fascinating how he, he switches from talking about his situation to Nebuchadnezzar and the most high God. 
This is the transition. He, he, he's looking at this situation. The writing is on the wall. People are, they spilled their drinks. They're standing in awe. And he's saying, let me tell you a little story about Nebuchadnezzar, your father, the one that has gone before you. Um, verse 18, o, o king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship, and greatness, and glory, and majesty. Where did Nebuchadnezzar's success come from? It came from God. Even when he wasn't following God, God blessed him. That's hard for us to understand. But know this, that that's true for you as well. That God's blessing is on all of us, even those outside of this room. Even those outside of faith, there are blessings that God has brought to them. Uh, they may not acknowledge it. They may not think that this is from God. They may not acknowledge the Most High God. They may worship the God of wood, gold, silver, iron, whatever. But uh, God is the one who is the blesser of people, his creation. And so Daniel points this out in Nebuchadnezzar's life to Belshazzar. He talks about his blessings and his accomplishments. And verse 19, he says, And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. He was the most powerful. Uh, whom he would, uh, he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. It's interesting Daniel would say that because that was true of him, right? He could have been killed as he was conquered that uh, Daniel was one of those ones that he spared his life and even raised him up. Verse 20, uh, but when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Tell me about the sin of pride. Look at verse 20. It says that all these blessings that Nebuchadnezzar had, when he was proud, that brought about him bring, being brought down from his kingly throne and his glory taken from him. Verse 21. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was uh, with the wild donkeys. <laughs> what a picture. He was fed to... Uh, grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules. Rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And he describes this picture to him, and, and he's talking to Belshazzar, and he's setting him up, and he's saying, I want to describe to you what's going on. Remember Nebuchadnezzar. Remember his pride, his success that was given by God. Remember his pride caused that success to be taken away. Remember that went on until when it went on. And I want you to be able to highlight in your mind. There's a lot of words in these pages and they're all important, but some are a thematic and meant to be a reminder. And as you look at verse 21, it says, until he knew that the most high God rules. Until he knew 
That's how long it was until he knew that the Most High God rules. And, and what that was meant to be put in Nebuchadnezzar's mind was for him to say, I'm not the one who rules. Uh, it, it's not uh, the king who rules or some other king or uh, majority rules. It's the Most High God rules. And he's the one who is over all. And this was the big revelation we saw for Nebuchadnezzar last chapter, uh, many, probably many years ago in the sense of between chapter 4 and chapter 5. Verse 22, it says, he turns from that story, he turns to Belshazzar and he says, And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. Though you knew all this. And so, uh, how did he know this story? It was probably a years old story. It was probably passed down. It was probably something he heard. It was probably part of history that would have marked him. And he's saying, you, you knew this and you haven't humbled yourself. I want to, I want to encourage you. There's some family stories going on in your life. There's some family stories. They're not all that pleasant. Some of those family stories aren't all that pleasant, right? Failings of the past and generations. We even look at our country, and there's things in our country that aren't that great. and We're meant to learn from them, right? And there's this humble guarding of today and the steps that we take that's meant to happen, right? We're supposed to be on guard for uh, this kind of greed or this particular sin or, or this kind of treating of people. And, uh, and you look at this, I got, I got to guard against this today. I got to remember. Those of you who have sins of your fathers and your grandfathers and the generations before that are very specific you know what happened, whether it be infidelity in marriage or, or some kind of abuse or, or even you know, some substance abuse, and you, you know that in your family. If you're not going to guard against that, that's foolishness for you, foolishness, because you've had the example that you're, it's meant to start a new generation. And so as Daniel comes uh, as a representative of the Most High God to Belshazzar, he says, don't you remember about the pride of your father? Don't you remember about the stories that you've heard about Nebuchadnezzar, the king? So he connects uh, the past to his present. You have not humbled though you knew all this, verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the, the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have you been brought before you and, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver, gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose, uh, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So you get this picture. And I want to stop here and say, well, they were bringing these, these vessels and they were drinking out of them. They were mocking the God of Daniel 
while praising the God of these substances, gold, silver, bronze, wood, you know, stone. You know, the, 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 these are what we praise. And, and those are nothing. Those are nothing. But the God of Daniel is the one that is alive. And he says, he connects it back to it's what your father Nebuchadnezzar did. And now this is what happened. You were praising these dead things. And what happened? The hand came and appeared at your party. The hand wrote on the wall at your party. I know that uh, for most of us here today, especially uh, when we're talking about the issue of pride, you don't want to listen, right? You don't want to listen. You know, say, what do I got to do after this? I don't, I don't really need to hear this. I see some people here that are kind of proud, especially my wife, especially my wife. You know, she's here, um, she's sitting next to me, and you know, I hope she's listening. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. You're here this morning. You're here this morning. What is God wanting to teach you? What is God wanting to teach you? Belshazzar did not honor the God of Daniel, the God of the Bible, the God of creation, the holy God of Israel. He did not honor him. Verse 24. Then from his presence, uh, the hand was sent, and uh, this writing was inscribed. And this writing was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. This is what Daniel is in telling you what these words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. The idea here is this, that uh, these, uh, these days, and, and when you have a party, you're saying, you know, we have something to celebrate. There's, there's no war to prepare for. There's no uh, doom to prep for. It's time to party. It's time to live, and it's time to enjoy, and to drink, and to uh, indulge. And in the midst of this indulgence, Daniel says, your days are numbered and your number's up. Your number's up. It's come to an end. The word, in fact, it says that twice, probably for emphasis. And, and you can imagine uh, being younger. We don't know how young Belshazzar was. We knew you know, that he probably was with his older father in this uh, co-king relationship. He was younger, and when you're younger, you know, you picture yourself in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you do the math and you go, I got time. I got time. And he says, no, you don't have time. uh, God's numbered your days and your numbers are up. Says it twice. And Tekel, uh, you've been weighed and found wanting. The picture is this, that uh, there's a scale where you go on, and it, it's the idea of uh, you being at the right level and, and being right and just. And he says, it goes like this, and you've been left wanting. It, it shows that you're not right. And lastly, he says, parson, or you parson, your kingdom divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
kingdom divided. So uh, king, kings always love their kingdom because it represents how great they are. Remember earlier we talked about uh, the, the boast of Babylon, right? The walls and the city and the, the resources and the beauty and the architecture and they had it all, right? And he says, uh, your kingdom, your beloved kingdom will be divided. It will be separated from you and granted to the Medes and the Persians. Uh, I want to just say these three words. These are what God thinks of Belshazzar's kingdom. And there's different opinions. Uh, uh, King Belshazzar, he probably had ideas and he would have said, well, let me tell you what the future holds for my kingdom. And maybe those lords and ladies and the the thousands that were there, maybe they would have said, oh, I think I know what's going to happen. The economy in Babylon is really booming, you know. Uh, It's in a V-shaped recovery, you know. And uh, really the, the prospects for the future are bright, well, what people think and what the king thinks and even what the queen thinks and the girlfriends and the wives and uh, the smart guys and everybody else, none of that matters. But these three words matter. Because this is God's judgment saying, this is what I think of your kingdom. This is what's going to happen next. Which brings us uh, to verse 29. Daniel honored, God honored. It says, then, uh, then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, and a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third, in, third ruler in the kingdom. Then verse 30 says this, that very night, uh, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. We'll talk a little bit more about him as we move on through the passage, but I just want to say this again, Daniel honored. Again. Again. And, th- and this is um, what should happen for God's people over and over again. As we follow him, even in dumb things, like our jobs, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, all of our jobs are passing, right? They're just passing. They're, they're things that is, we're there for a while and, you know, then, then we're gone and we did some things right and some things wrong, but they're passing. But as God's people in the midst of an ungodly world, what should happen is there are times of persecution, those happen. There are times of attack, those happen. But because of us honoring the Lord in the midst of a place that doesn't honor the Lord, there are also times of exaltation where God wins and the Most High God gets his way even in the midst of ungodliness and uh, rise up. And this is what happened with Daniel over and over again. I want to end this morning with, with, with talking about the Most High God. Three things about the Most High God. Uh, from Daniel chapter 5. The first thing I would just share with you is this. The most high God is the most high God. The most high God is the most high God. I think so often uh, we're up for grabs. We personally are up for grabs. 
We're asking the question every day, will I listen to God or will I do, do something else? Is he really the one I should listen to or should I do my own thing? What Belshazzar uh, should have known but was displayed, he was taught that day, and we don't know if he repented in those last moments of his life or if he was the example to all of Babylon, what happens when you uh, shake an angry fist at the Most High God. We don't know. It doesn't matter because the Most High God is the Most High God. There is no other. He is above all, whether we acknowledge him or not. And that goes for kings, presidents, congressmen, governors, bosses, mayors, dads, moms, older brothers, older sisters, I should say bossy older sisters. Um, The most high God is the most high God. Secondly, I would say this. The most high God has the course of your life in his hands. We we often think about, uh, you know, we, we all watch Back to the Future and we wondered if our life would change if these things changed. Well, what if this would have happened or what if that would have happened? Who has the course of your life in his hands? Not you. It's not you. And so as you look at this day, we're looking to a God who is working out his plan. We're looking to honor him. And, and the, the, major, the major sin that Belshazzar did was that he acknowledged that he was in charge. That he could do whatever he wanted. And he missed this point that His breath was in the hands of the God of Daniel. The Most High God had the course of his life in his hands. I want to encourage you. In these days of viruses, vaccines, variants, those are all V's. I I didn't even put that together until until right now. And any other V's you can think of. Okay? Okay? Who has your life in his hands? Who has your days and your hours? Who has them? I want to tell you, you might go to the wrong doctor. Lord has you still. You you might make wrong steps and you might uh, get the wrong data and you might do that. All those things might be true. But God has you. The most high God has you. Your days, your, your hours, your minutes, he's got you. And you can trust him. And then lastly, the most high God matters most. He matters most. Bill Shazer, when he thought about what mattered most, we don't know. We don't know what he was thinking. He loved his party, right? They're having a good time. They were drinking, it, it kind of, I, I hate to say this, but I'm looking around the crowd here. We don't have too many. But um, it, he seems like a middle schooler, doesn't he? Hey, I got this trick. I got a funny thing. Let's do this. Go get those gold and those silver things. We're not supposed to touch those, right? They were meant to worship God. I got a funny thing. Let's drink out of them. And his buddies were going, yeah, let's do it. You'll go get them. That'll be so funny. This will be the best party ever. You'll be the coolest, Belshazzar. 
Everyone will talk about this party this night. And they did. And they did. The Most High God matters most. As we touch something, as we take a step, what does God think about that? Not what do the thousands at the party think. Not, not you know, uh, looking even at the resources. The walls protect me. I've got this. I've got that. that. This is what matters most. No, none of that matters. What matters most is the Most High God. This should guide our steps. This should guide our steps. The Most High God matters most. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and its guidance to us. God, I pray that we would be people like Daniel. We would not be people like Belshazzar. God, it's frightening and I hate it that many of these thoughts of Belshazzar are in my own heart as well. That, that I, I forget you and I forget that you matter most. I forget that uh, my moments and my days are in your hands. I forget that uh, you are to be worshipped today. God, cleanse us from our pride. Cause us to walk in humility in regards to you, in regards to one another, and an onlooking world. God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.